You're listening to a slightly different edition of the Northern Agenda podcast today. I'm Rob Parsons, Northern Agenda editor, not coming to you from my bedroom in Leeds, as I normally do, but I'm in uh, the Friends Meeting House in the heart of central Manchester. It's a uh, an historic building, dates back to the 19th century. I was just uh, looking at a uh, artwork depicting the 1819 Peterloo massacre uh, while I was getting my newsletter out this morning. Um, why are we here? The reason is it's for the This Is The North conference organised by the People's Powerhouse Movement. It's been going for an hour or so, so far. It's been a fascinating event. We've heard from Andy Burnham, Mayor of Greater Manchester, Nazir Afzal, the uh, former Crown Prosecutor for the North West. And uh, I've got Finn Oldfield with me, who's one of the organisers of the event. Uh, morning, Finn. Morning, Rob. Thanks for having us. You've not had your breakfast yet. That's I'm, how hard you've been working uh, on today. Yeah, the, the hustle never ends. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's a great <laughs> event so far. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about the thinking behind it and what you're sort of trying to achieve? Yeah. So this is the sixth annual convention that we've been able to do. It's the first one in person since 2019. So the first post-COVID, if you will, event. Um, and we're really about establishing that as much as we are an organization we also are a movement for change for economic racial and social justice and today is about gathering people together um, in our communities and across the north to come together and influence the the future of the north through active debate and participation because the power is where the people are as andy burnham was saying and as you were saying before you know it is a movement for change as, as much as we are an organization so it's been so good to, to hear from people with lived experience um, of poverty and economic injustice um, racial injustice and how we can you know have those difficult conversations um, and yeah and hopefully walk away out of the event with more than we started with so yeah now I go to my fair share of conferences of various kinds around the north, and it seems to me this one is a little bit different. Like a lot of them are quite business focused, uh, I guess, and this one, like you say, is more uh, about sort of grassroots mm-hmm. community endeavour and sort of bringing it right back to people power. I mean, is that is that a fair way of describing it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as a yeah, as I just said, you know, like power is where the people are, and people's voices are so important. You know, originally with. Um, we were founded back in 2017 to allow people's voices to come into the conversation around the Northern Powerhouse. And since then, we've grown to include all sorts of, um, you know, economic justice types and initiatives. And it really is about um, flipping the script and, you know, making sure that people's voices are heard and we're not just sat listening to panels all day as is the, you know, the usual run-of-the-mill conferences. So we, we try and make sure that people's voices are being listened to by the people that we ask to present. Um, so we kind of, you know, we, we pride ourselves on flipping the script in that way and we're not just a, a run-of-the-mill conference, as, as you were saying. Fantastic stuff. Well, I know lunch is not far from us and I'd, as you've missed your breakfast, you don't <laughs> want to miss your lunch, so we'll let you go and Thank we you. will try and find some more speakers at today's event to talk Brilliant. to. Thanks for being here, Rob. found another uh, guest and it's Edna Robinson who is the chair of the People's Powerhouse movement. She kicked us off this morning with a, it was a rousing speech. I mean you were waiting for Andy Burnham, you were sort of padding a bit weren't you because yeah, Andy Burnham hadn't turned up and so you're having to talk a bit longer than you anticipated speaking but um, it's a great event so far. I mean how, how, how is it going for you? Well it's a culmination of um, probably all that's good about all the things that we do and the way that we connect with people and so I think because it's the first 
in the room face to face for quite some time as well it's added to the special feeling of getting people together uh, how's it going it's going amazing because the people who come are amazing so they we try and not overly structure it uh, we just want people to be very uh, authentic uh, uh, so yeah I'm very very pleased with the atmosphere it's, it's buzzing now you would in your opening address you, you made what I thought was a really good point you were talking about how the North needs to sort of break through into the rooms where discussions are being held about the North but we're not we're not there which I guess sort of speaks to the uh, you know the lack of real power that a lot of institutions in the North have and you were talking about how transport for the North uh, you know set out this this great vision for what is needed transport wise in the North and that the majority of people who use public transport are women taking their kids to to school or to childcare which I think when when during in the debate on northern transport you don't I don't think you hear that enough it's a lot about HS2 and these big infrastructure projects I mean it's, is that where you think the debate about the North needs to be a bit more about people's sort of real lived experiences? I think it needs to be both. And I think that there needs to be really big infrastructure investment and that we need big, bold conversations about that, the capital that's needed, the investment that's needed, the disruption that might occur because of big capital infrastructure that we really do need. However, it's all for the purpose of leading a good life. And so you then have to take into account the ordinary life of the majority of people in that conversation. And sadly, we all love an expert. And so people who are members of the public, ordinary people, are seen as having no skill to or able to contribute to those conversations. And they become patronized in terms of their views. And the power of a mum pushing a trolley down the road with two kids and the, or a guy driving along in a big car and talking about infrastructure investment, we can see how society views those two things and it's reflected in the way that we plan and consequently in the way that we make decisions. Now, obviously, there's a lot in the last two or three years because of the political situation and the, you know, the Red Wall, all that kind of stuff, the North gets talked about uh, a lot. Uh, and obviously that's the reason the Northern Agenda exists in the, in the first place. But do, do you feel that the kind of things that people are saying in this conference today are actually being listened to by the people who have the power to do something about it? I think it's about where we think power sits. And I think for many of the people here today, they are very self-developing and they will get on and do. So they're not necessarily looking for permission or indeed investment from others. So we're seeing a lot of amazing initiatives where people are actually making a real difference. Are they uh, overall helping to tip the balance on where big investments and infrastructure decisions are being made? The, the answer to that is probably no, because we have got a capitalist view of growth and development. And so you have only got a small a small model where you actually look at investment and you have to have a return on your investment. You know, I've been a housing uh, chair of a social landlord for many years 
And we used to build on pieces of land that no one else would build on because it needed remedial work, but it would be in the heart of a community that desperately needed development. Developers want that there is a pressure using a capitalist model that the, the return has to be maximised for the shareholder. We talk about stakeholders, not shareholders, and we believe that the people in the North are shareholders with a stake in the North and they should all have a say. Well, that's what this conference is all about. So, um, Edna, thank you for talking to us today. Thank you. Great. So we've moved rooms at the Friends Meeting House and I've caught up with uh, Jonathan Prasad who is from the People's Powerhouse Racial Justice Network, that's right, isn't it? That's that? correct, yes. And you have been leading a, uh, a conversation this morning on a very interesting topic, particularly for me as a uh, adopted northerner, not originally from the north. Um, what does it mean to be northern? So tell us about that. What, what, was, what was the sort of tenor of the debate? So the, the, the session came about really because... As people of colour, we are often asked, are you really from here? Where are you from? Where's home? And we keep on saying, we are northern, we are from the north. So it was really about what does northernness mean to us as people of colour, but people born here, second generation, third generation, born in the north of England, and what are we proud of coming from the north? So we had a really, really good discussion during our session, and we had Nazir Afzal, who was talking about the work that he did on various inquiries uh, and talking about racism and the racism he experienced in the Midlands growing up. And then we had other people talking about their own personal experiences of growing up in the north as well, the poverty they lived in. So we had people from Bradford talking about poverty growing up in single parent households, growing up with a different culture as well and having to code switch between both being English at school but coming home and having to be you know, Asian or speaking in a different language or a different culture um, and it was about how they manage that hybrid identity which is northern-ish so it's northern plus something else. Uh, so that's what our session was about. So when I was talking talk about what, what I'm really proud of, I'm really proud of the fact that I live really close to Dunsop Bridge, the geographic centre of the north, well, the, of, of, of Great Britain. Um, I'm really proud of the fact that the Battle of Bamber Bridge took place in, in, in Bamber Bridge, which is when uh, black GI soldiers were banned, who came during the Second World War, they were banned from visiting pubs. Uh, but the people of Bamber Bridge came and stood up for them and said, no, these people should be allowed to come to pubs and um, there should be no colour bar in the pubs at all and a, a big battle took place but the people of Bamberbridge supported them. I'm really proud of the fact that when Gandhi came to, Black, uh, to Darwin in 1931, essentially to say that we will not take cotton from Lancashire anymore because it's affecting our right to self-determination, the people of Lancashire greeted him, welcomed him and they understood that what he was doing was something that was harming them but it was the right thing for India at the time so that's what we're talking about what makes us proud to be northern what it means to us to be north northern but also our own personal stories and reflections on our on northernness it's interesting because uh, it's, it's definitely true that you can have lots of different identities, lots of different things that, that make up your identity. I was reading that uh, David Olasoga, the, uh, the quite famous TV historian who is getting the freedom of the borough of Gateshead uh, in a few days' time, and he uh, came to, with his family, came to Gateshead or the Northeast as a five-year-old from Nigeria, and by all accounts, 
experienced some pretty horrendous racism and I think his family later moved out of the area but he's talking about getting the freedom of Gateshead and saying how proud he is of that and you know the deep links that he has with with the northeast so it might it might, must be quite a sort of complicated mixture of emotions for people who come to the north from other countries. Yeah, but they find their natural equilibrium when they come to the north and they settle here. And the friendliness of the north is legendary. We always talk about how friendly it is. But it's true, there is a lot of friendliness in the north. People are welcoming, they're accepting. Um, as, I, as I mentioned, you know, the Battle of Bamber Bridge or um, the, the case of Gandhi, people welcomed you in and sort of just accepted you. My own experience of growing up in the north has been nothing but positive. I moved away from the north when I was in my early 20s went and lived in Germany, went and lived in the US, went and lived in the South Pacific, did worked over there. But there was something that draws you back to the north. And that's the people, it's the landscape, it's the beauty that's here as well. And the fact it is accepting. Now there's structural problems in the north, of course. There's structural problems of deprivation in communities, in places like Burn, like Blackburn. But these aren't caused by people themselves. These are caused by big systemic problems which you know, lead to health inequalities, for example. Well, let's, let's talk about that because you, before we started recording, you were telling us that you're, a, you're an academic in, mm-hmm. in Lancashire as well, aren't you? And you've been doing some really interesting research into uh, some of the communities in Lancashire and how they've been affected by the pandemic and other sort of poverty-related factors. Just, just tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so I work for the University of Central Lancashire. I'm a research associate in a department called the Global Race Centre for equality uh, and I lead on a piece of work around poverty and inequality in South Asian heritage communities uh, in Burnley, Blackburn, Pendle, those sorts of areas. And these are the communities that have been hardest affected by things like the pandemic and it's, you know, they have had the highest infection rates but also the high, highest mortality rates as well during the pandemic. Uh, every week you tune into the news and you wouldn't even look for what was the top, uh, the areas of highest infection. It was always Blackburn or Burnley in one of those towns, you didn't need to look. The lack of available information about why this was the case uh, meant that there's very little, very little literature written about it, meant that the media descended on the town, set up cameras outside mosques, outside places of worship, outside South Asian heritage food shops in South Asian areas, uh, and really wanted to create a narrative which divided people, which is saying these people aren't following the guidelines. They wanted to see people coming out of mosques, not wearing masks or not socially distancing. And it's because of a, la- a general lack of knowledge about communities. And so what we started doing a bit of research on, well, what is actually happening within these households? Why are infection rates higher? What we're finding, of course, is that households are multi-generational occupancy. You've got grandma, granddad, mum, dad, uncles and aunts, siblings, children, all living in the same household. Some going out to work, some not going out to work, but of course your older people are going to get infected and then, you know, that's going to lead to sorts of COVID problems for, for families. So we started looking at those sorts of things, the lack of green spaces. So of course, if you're in a terrace house, for example, you don't have um, a green space that you can go to. If there's not a green space within a 15, 20 minute walk, people probably won't access them. Um, a lot of these areas don't have green spaces close by. So of course, people weren't able to get out. Um, but also high mortality rates or infection rates because people working in low paid, low skilled occupations, um, Things like manual labour, like taxi drivers, like um, social care jobs, which are skilled, um, but you know, people having to go out to work, people working in takeaways, very much customers facing, um, who maybe didn't have the opportunity to be furloughed, um, or, or you know, so they were going out and facing people on a day-to-day basis, bringing that infection to the house because those houses were multi-generational occupancy, they were then infecting other members of the family uh, inadvertently, just because 
they didn't have access to furlough. So that's a big problem as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were hearing Andy Burnham, the Mayor of Greater Manchester, talking about how the pandemic had hit the North hardest. And I guess what you're talking about there is an example of why. So, um, Jonathan, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you. It nice to talk to you. Thank you. big part of this conference is talking about people's lived experiences and you know the experiences of real people in the north but there are some big big ideas being discussed as well and one of them which is coming up this afternoon is the people's powerhouse theory of change which sounds fascinating and Nicola Lynch who's here who uh, is is leading that discussion uh, is here with us. Hi Nicola. Hi good to be here today. Thank you so what do you just tell us what is the people's powerhouse theory of change? What does it mean? Okay, so theory of change is um, language that comes from impact management space, and that's what I do for a job. And really, it's about trying to articulate the changes we want to see in the world as a result of our work, and and think about the the pathways to that impact, particularly for something like the people's powerhouse where the change they hope to affect is really huge. We're talking about big system level change. It's going to be really difficult to kind of um, set markers along the journey that let us know if we're heading in the right direction. And that's that's really what the theory of change is all about. Like I say, it's a bit of jargon from impact management world, but we don't want people to get kind of too hung up on that. What we do want people is to do is, um, I'm calling it name the change. So start to articulate a name some of the changes we want to see in our environment, in ourselves, as a result of the work of the People's Powerhouse, so that we can, um, it's not, you know, it's not about measuring success in a, in a kind of, in a cold or blank way, it's about understanding whether we are moving on that journey, along that journey that we want to be moving along. Yeah, so presumably the thinking is, we, we, we all want the North to be a better place to live and to work, and we want the trains to be more on time, and we want kids to be better educated and have better job opportunities, but presumably what you're trying to articulate is, I guess, the more precise mechanisms that we, that, that we achieve some of, those, some of those goals or change more generally? Absolutely. So it's about breaking it down to a slightly more granular level um, so that, that we can, as a collective of people who are interested in this work, we can make some judgments about whether we're getting there. Because not only are some of the changes really big in terms of system level change, but potentially some of these changes are 5, 10, 20 years down the line. Um, and we don't want to wait um, to, to question ourselves in terms of whether we're getting there, whether we're, we're on that journey. We don't want to wait until 10 or 20 years. We want to be able to identify some of the things that are important to people now um, that, we can, that we can keep an eye out for and go, is that a marker? Is that, if, if we see this change in our environment, does that tell us we're heading in the right direction? So yeah, one of the other really important things about the process um, is, is that it's completely kind of stakeholder seeped for want of better language. What I want to see in terms of change at a granular level might actually look very different to you. So I live, for example, I live in Cumbria. I live um, in North Cumbria, which is very far from anywhere. And I set out it's three... It's as far north as you can be. I set out three weeks ago to get here today, you know, with the combination of um, rural isolation plus train chaos and all of that stuff. So, you know, what I might want to see um, 
living in rural Cumbria might be different from what um, somebody living in the heart of Manchester wants to see. Now, the big goal is the same. We want an empowered, healthy, happy north. But like I say, how it might look um, on the ground, it might look slightly different to me and you. And that's, again, that's what we're trying to capture in this theory of change processes. How do, how do all those many outcomes add together to, to create the big one and how can we ensure um, everyone has a voice in that um, yeah. which is done that's obviously that's crucial to the work of the people's powerhouse absolutely and how did you get into this 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 line of work in the first place um yeah so um i um i started my career here in manchester as you can tell from my beautiful dulcet tones although i live in cumbria i'm northern irish and i came to manchester to study 25 years ago now and I've worked in the charitable and voluntary sector ever since but I set up my own business about eight or nine years ago um, doing this kind of social impact and social value related um, evaluation work um, mostly within the charitable and voluntary sector but I am now I uh, run my own business, still doing that, but I'm also the National Lead on Civil Society for Social Value UK, where I sit over all our work with uh, charities, social enterprises, community businesses and voluntary organisations. Fantastic. Well, it, it's, it's a big and important topic. <laughs> and uh, Nicola, thank you for t- telling us about it today. No problem. Thanks so much for having me. Cheers. So I found another journalist in the Friends Meeting House in Manchester, Beth Abbott, who does the fantastic Mancunian Way newsletter and is here covering the event for the MEN. Hey Beth. Hello. Hello. We've never met in person before, so this is quite a meeting a seminal meeting of minds that we're having right now. I was going to say, it's a sign of the times, isn't it? That you're a real person in front of me. I know. Incredible. We we talk every day on on, on Google Video, Google Meets, uh, about the different newsletters that we do. But yeah, we've never met in person before, so it's uh, very exciting. So what have you made of This Is The North Conference so far? You've been sat in the main hall for quite a lot of the day. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's, um, It's nice to meet people from all different sort of sectors and stuff. I would say that they're is quite a sense of anger. People have come here and they're definitely ready to uh, to give their opinion <laughs> about, I think the words scraps from the table have, have come up quite a few times actually. Yeah, there was a great line from Nazir Afsar, wasn't there, who's the former Chief Crown Prosecutor for the North West and he's the current Chancellor of Manchester University and I think he said... Uh, we don't want scraps from the table. We want the bloody table. That was that was what he said. Wasn't it, it was, yeah. He was uh, he, he was very outspoken. He he said something quite interesting about. Um, well, he said he he, he name dropped, didn't he? Because he said I've been to Buckingham Palace yesterday, um, <laughs> and and everyone went ha ha ha. And then he said, but I saw Pretty Patel and Sir Philip Braverman walk in, and I had to leave because I knew I was going to get into a row with them in front of the Queen Consort, which was quite an interesting thing to yeah. say, wasn't it? So the two most recent Conservative Home Secretaries, who are, yes, you suspect the, the crowd who were here in Manchester today, I don't didn't think would be big fans of either Pretty Patel or Suella, and so it, so it proved. Yeah, I think it is a fairly left-leaning conference, isn't it? It is, but I think, I mean, we've been discussing this earlier today, I think there's, because I go to quite a few of these conferences, like quite a lot of them are uh, dominated or sort of led by business groups, which is obviously great, you know, totally fair, because, you know, it is important that we get good quality jobs in the North and the investment to the private sector and so forth. But I think there's definitely a lot of space and perhaps 
you don't hear enough at these types of events from people at ground level who are experiencing you know the lived reality in the north and I think that's what we're getting a lot of in this conference presumably that's what you've been hearing today yeah and I went into one of the workshops and said I was just gonna sit in and be nosy but then got involved <laughs> myself as you can't help doing um, but it was it was quite it was interesting to hear um, kind of what people were saying there was a lady from Bradford um, there was a lady who had worked in Toxteth in, in Liverpool um, and she was sort of saying um, that you know we say all the time how, how great we are in the north and we talk about all this northern pride but really we kind of need to look at ourselves a little bit about the stuff that's wrong with us as well you know there's there's plenty about the north that is wrong um, and maybe we should have less chippiness and look at that a little bit uh, as well so it's quite interesting to come to this and hear people not just talking as, as you were saying before about cloth cats whippets and uh, <laughs> and all those stereotypes isn't it and to sort of say we need to be um, a little a little bit more inward looking before we start to sort of criticize uh, the South maybe I mean some, someone was talking about how we always go straight to that sort of like that London and, <laughs> and how they get everything the South gets everything and that isn't necessarily true at all it's quite interesting to hear, hear that at a Northern Conference isn't it where we are talking about getting scraps from the table yeah. but actually we're also discussing inequality across the whole of the country yeah. it's interesting because with the debate around the levelling up agenda that, that during the summer Rishi Sunak got into trouble because he said that he had, uh, while he was uh, Chancellor, he had diverted money from poor urban areas to mm-hmm. areas like Tunbridge Wells in Kent, which is not poor by anyone's stretch of the imagination. And that, for a while, turned the debate into, oh, well, actually, there are areas in Kent, which you consider to be a very affluent county, where there's high levels of poverty. And by the same token, there are areas of the north, like, you know, areas around Manchester, areas in... Yorkshire, where I live, that are you know that are really, really doing well and and, and thriving. So I guess you can't generalise about the north, but I think it is the case that as a region, the north has had less investment, less care for decades, yeah, and definitely, and that's in the process. Of, well, the last prime minister Boris Johnson said that he was going to do something about that. I feel like it's not as much on the agenda now, which I think is possibly what you know gives rise to the sense of anger that you're that you've been you've, you've been hearing. I'm sure that is the case. And Andy Burnham gave that great line, didn't he, where he said, "If you look at it like a map of sort of energy, you've got um, little flickers of light in Manchester, maybe Liverpool, maybe the Midlands, and then you've got this huge nuclear power <laughs> in London, uh, where you know." everything's lit up and, and kind of much brighter down there if we're talking in terms of power distribution yeah he's got a good way uh, of good, good use of analogies as Andy Burnham yes. he, he comes with always good good use of language of it's his. analogy bingo isn't it with him absolutely yeah he's, he's, he, he's very good well um, what do you just tell us a bit while, while you want just tell us a bit about the Mancunian way the, the newsletter that you do yes the Mancunian way thank you a bit of cross promotion yeah why not <laughs> well it's um, it's a daily digest of news uh, lots of lots of good stuff from my great colleagues at the Manchester Evening News. Um, a little bit of opinion from me, depending on how feisty I'm feeling that day <laughs> and how cheeky I'm feeling. Um, some silly stuff as well. Obviously, some Coronation Street slips in there. Neighbours. Na- Neighbours, yeah, it does slip in there. Obviously, that's got nothing to do with um, 
Manchester whatsoever, but that's just me being insane and afraid <laughs> <laughs> and saying it's my newsletter, so I'll write what I want. But I do write about Manchester, I can promise you that, <laughs> and about Greater Manchester. Well, it's a great, it's a great read, and you Thank should really you. subscribe to it if you're not uh, already. We need to go because the leader of Manchester City Council, Bev Craig, is on in a minute, and we're going to go down and listen to her. So at the start of the conference, we heard a very powerful uh, poem, I think. Uh, This is the North, which sort of set out, set the scene for what people have been discussing today, the hopes and dreams of people in the North. And it's by Nathan Parker, who is from Blackpool. He's here with us now. We're munching on our sandwiches and crisps uh, over lunch. And um, Nathan, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to be here. So tell me... uh, Tell me about the, the sort of the genesis of the poem. How did how did, did did you come up with it specifically for this for this uh, conference? Yeah, so I've been I've been fortunate enough to to be building a relationship with the People's Powerhouse for a little period of time now. We've worked on a couple of things together, a couple of pieces, um, all with a kind of similar theme, but with different um, with different kind of specifics at each varying time that we worked together. One was about communities. One was for um, similar to kind of this one in a sense of uh, a collection of, of, of northern kind of um, perspectives. This one was kind of the, the biggest one so far that we've worked on uh, and I was approached to create something that would set the scene for the convention today um, and together with the People's Powerhouse team worked on a bit of a brief and then created obviously the piece uh, which was aimed at um, accepting and acknowledging the reality that it is a little bit gritty out there, but also with um, a strong message of hope, validation, uh, energy for how we can move things forward as a collective North. And we worked together with um, a production company called A Engines, who pulled it together in terms of the visuals. So we went out to a studio for the day and uh, you know worked on the visuals and, and it involved me reciting the poem about 50 times um, 47 of which I forgot the words for <laughs> well, we, I was, I was going to say we could maybe get you to say it out loud now but we don't want to put you on the spot in case you can't remember the words yeah, so, right, I, I think I'd probably struggle given all the fantastic workshops that I've been in this morning all the information that's in my mind I'd probably struggle to recite it actually Yeah. Um, but I am hoping to capture uh the essence of the day and create some kind of verse um, so hopefully we can bookend the convention so we've got this is the north to kick off and if I can make sense of this pad of notes we could have something that reflects on the day as well oh um, fantastic so you're crafting a poem as we as we speak about summing everything up yeah just capturing different perspectives different workshops different experiences uh, different thoughts and feelings and just going to try and create a bit of a narrative that reflects on the day so I mean there was some quite complicated uh, or sort of some some uh, ideas in the poem like devolution yeah. for example like it's, it's a big important thing that I write about and talk yeah. about a lot but for most people they don't really know what it is yeah. it's hard to engage with yeah. uh, so, and it must be quite challenging for you to take some of these issues that maybe aren't 
the subjects that you would talk about with your mates down the pub yeah. and get them into a in, into a poem. Yeah, I mean the devolution one. I've just like we've just flicked it in. Uh, there's not it doesn't really explore it much more than we want devolution to be more than just intention. That's that's literally the line. Um, and yeah, it doesn't quite kind of uh, explain the complexities of why we want devolution to be more than just intention. With a lot of the complex things, I try and and say them. Uh, firstly, understand them myself as best I can and then and then sort of put them into some kind of um, language or creative piece that, that people can engage with and maybe start a conversation about them and, and understand maybe that um, we as regular people and I use air quotes there can engage in conversations about politics about things that are going on in society because I think this kind of narrative that oh it's too complicated for us to understand so we won't bother I think the people in power have relied on that. In fact, not relied on it, created it for, and it's and it's and it's the reaping the rewards of that because you've just got a population that's divided, disenfranchised, enfranchised. You know, don't really feel that they can contribute or change anything. So, what's the point? You know, Blackpool has got two Conservative MPs. Um, you know, but yet yet we've struggled for a long period of time over the last ten years in terms of in terms of austerity cuts and all that sort of stuff. So it's a bit that's a bit of a contradiction in terms, you know, when you think an area that struggles like Blackpool, but yet is voting for a, a party. I'm not trying not talking party politics, but I'm just kind of um, trying to sort it back objectively that, but yet vote, has voted for, for a party that maybe is looking to strip away even more, you know, budget, assets, etc., etc. So it, it, I feel like people are just disenfranchised. It was, I think it was the highest number of um, no, non-voters in Blackpool last time around so there's just got people who maybe aren't interested and I'm, I guess with my poetry my spoken word firstly I'm looking to understand things myself secondly uh, I'm not looking to change the minds of, of, of maybe the people in power but maybe just start conversations with my neighbours you know and people who are like me to start have conversations and think about things from a different perspective and poetry is good for that isn't it because I mean mayors or politicians can give speeches or whatever where they try and capture the mood of the nation and fire people up but I think poetry has a, a unique ability to sum up uh, the way people are feeling and get it over to people in a you know in a really sort of persuasive way yeah I think I think you, you you just get given the benefit of the doubt for a couple of minutes if it's written and delivered in a way that's maybe a little bit different and a bit engaging people will listen and think oh this is quite good and you've all, you've, you've got a little bit of room to play with them to try and get your ideas across or to get kind of the mood or the feelings across if I just stood, sort of stood up and tried to deliver a speech about certain things most people would have a wall up and think oh you're not going to change my mind or okay you're just going to talk about politics I'm going to switch off so with the poetry I think it draws people in and if I, if and when I can um, share things in a, in a way that means something to the majority of people and not the few that kind of are within the inner circle of politics or kind of those kind of discussions if I can open up that conversation people go oh that's kind of how I was feeling or I never really understood that uh, I feel frustrated about that and it's kind of like okay so what do we do about it and do you start conversations then um, I think yeah the poetry is, is the starting point as opposed to uh, the finishing point um, with regards to summing up it's more of a kind of opening up um, in, a, in a way a, a lot of the time yeah Absolutely. Well, we've heard Nathan talk about the poem and how he came up with it, but why don't we, to uh, finish off 
this week's episode of the Northern Agenda podcast here. This is The North by Nathan Parker. Say thank you. Consultation, negotiation, economic, catastrophic, levelling up, the revelings up, trickle down, merry-go-round, round of applause, inflation soars, occupancy of constituencies, domineering, tasteless jeering, mass strikes, price hikes, new policy, same fallacy, money tree, nothing's free, wealth extraction, time distractions, stop, 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 stop. There is an alternative. This is the North. A North where, in times of crisis, the people have shown their will. Where collaboration is power, where there is heart, capability and skill. Responsibility taken by real people living through challenges, not just browsing. Where local voice can impact transport, where there is ethical community-led housing. Value placed on green spaces in nature. Ramblers voting with their feet since 1896. Where nanas throw on their yellow tabards and protect our lands with placard sticks. It's where sport can mean community. A collective of care, passion and invention. Where the arts are a vehicle for expression. Where devolution is more than just intention. We Northerners are bold. We push for strategy to become a reality. Demanding social, cultural and financial inclusion. The people pushing for accountability and clarity. The spirit of the suffragettes lingers inside. With empowering figures, our history is laced. And so, in recent times of despair, it was grassroots aid that reacted with haste. Looking forward... A bleak picture is drawn with many wondering how we'll even survive. Surely the key lies with redistributed power and so together we can build a future and thrive. Because who better to co-create solutions, for instance, on how much it now costs to live than those who have chosen to eat or to heat. That kind of expertise is something priceless to give. People matter. We matter. The time for empty slogans is through. Because levelling up means nothing at all unless the people in power listen up to me and you.